Welcome to the Goalie Hacks podcast, the show dedicated to providing elite tips, hacks, and strategies to take your game to the next level, where we help you become an elite goaltender, one hack at a time. And now, here's your host, Mike Santaguida. Bang, bang, everyone. Mike Santaguida here, and welcome back to the show. And uh, man, we got a ton of fire interviews lined up here in the next couple months and thank you to all my previous my my previous guests and uh, i hope you guys have really enjoyed what we've had to offer so far and as you guys heard we announced breaking the 1k subscriber barrier last week but lately i've been really hitting it hard to get a lot more active goaltenders on here and i think you guys are going to be really impressed with the upcoming lineup and uh, that next level killer lineup starts today and today on the show I have an absolutely killer interview, and it's always a pleasure getting individuals not just at the next level, but the highest levels in their respective sports, and not just guys at the highest levels, but also guys that have been at the next level for a long time now, true veterans, and uh, today's interview does not come up short in any manner in delivering just that, and I'm happy today to have the head athletic therapist of the NHL's Ottawa Senators on the show, Dominic Nicoletta. And he's been at the highest levels of the sports world for almost 20 years now and is entering into his 19th season with the Ottawa Senators organization. A true NHL veteran who knows the inside outs of treatment, rehab, prehab, all things related to athletic training and therapy. And we haven't seen somebody on this side of the fence uh, on the show really since Maria Mountain came on in episode, uh, I think that was episode three. And uh, I couldn't have asked for a better follow-up guest in the field, truly a leader in high performance sports world uh, at what he does. You guys are going to absolutely love today's episode, so make sure to stick around for the whole thing. Uh, shout out to our newest patrons, Paul and his son, Jerry Scoyle, and uh, hailing from Cambridge, Ontario. Super excited uh, to have some more fellow Ontarians join the program. And I couldn't be more excited to work closely together with his son, Jerry. And thank you for your support, guys. And uh, I'm really looking forward to meeting you guys in person and working together much further. And Paul and Jerry recently joined the mentorship program. And he's joined the Live Hacker tier, where if you're local in the greater Toronto area within one hour of Toronto or Mississauga, I come out to one game or practice a month of your choice, evaluate and assess you or your kids, and uh, provide a one to two page write up with three to four improvement areas and uh, drills and hacks on how to specifically improve and grow in those areas to increase your performance on the ice. And it's a cool new tier I've developed within the mentorship program for Greater Toronto Area Locals. So if you're interested in the tier and you live locally here, uh, all the details can be found at patreon.com slash goalie hacks. And uh, if you're also interested in working closer together in many other ways, including video review, um, where I send you a three to four page write up and analysis on a monthly basis, privates on the phone or in person on the ice, um, then head to the same link mentioned above. And it's also included in the episode description and show notes for easy access. So head on over there now for more information and how exactly you can get started today. Uh, shout out to our Goalie Hacks NTX League winners this month. And man, what a battle it was. We had a hot new contender come in on the promo we've been running on the software. And uh, this guy absolutely flew up the ranks. 
uh, within the group at speeds we haven't seen in a while. But uh, nonetheless, what an amazing month of competition and what an amazing group of people, you know, we have competing and helping each other get better. It's uh, it's just incredibly fun and productive to be a part of and, and everyone's really enjoying their time. Uh, but I want to give a big shout out to our monthly winner for the highest score and coming in hot and coming in clutch the last day of the month with only a few hours to spare. <laughs> Jacob Snellenberg, who has been a consistent leader in the group, clocked in a new group all-time high score at 3.78. Insane progress by Jacob, and what a record to smash uh, at the last minute to take the win for the month. And uh, Jacob recently also got uh, nominated for Player of the Week in the USPHL, so congrats to him on that. Congrats, Jacob, and, and, and on getting the score. And uh, congrats to everyone who was knocking on the doorstep for the monthly top score award as well. You know, it was such a, a tight race this month with awesome, uh, you know, awesome results. And it was just so awesome to watch and, and be a part of internally. And uh, shout out to our, our other monthly winner, Simon Beaudry, for the most improved this month. And man, did this kid give everyone a run for their money. He was flying. And he got started on the promo we were running. And in just a few weeks, he managed to climb significantly and actually put in uh, the monthly group high score until Jacob managed to overcome it the last day of the month. Crazy work done by Simon, improving on the month over 250%. Crazy, man. Crazy, Simon. Happy to uh, to have you a part of the clan and uh, just Excellent work this month, man. I, I'm glad that you're seeing the results on the ice and that you're really, you know, uh, taking advantage of the software. But uh, congrats to our winners and, and proud of everyone else's hard work and consistency as well within the group. Um, even if they didn't win this month, you know, it was, it was a great effort all around. And uh, also congrats to the people who took advantage of the early bird deal the last couple of weeks. But if you're still interested in getting started and uh, joining our NTX clan, you know, to hang out at, at, with and improve, you know, with like-minded individuals, uh, click the link included in the episode show notes for more information and how to get started today. And also, we do a giveaway every week, and, and I know a lot of people miss it, but listen to, uh, stick around at the end of the show where all the giveaway details are so you guys can enter our monthly giveaway. And every month we do, we pick four winners, and even if you don't win this month, you're entered into every single giveaway we ever do for the show. So definitely stick around all the way to the end of the episode to get all the details on how to enter our Goalie Hacks podcast monthly giveaway. But without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. I know you guys are going to love the chat Dominic and I had today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goalie Hacks podcast. I am super excited to be joined today by another guest at the NHL level, the head athletic therapist for the Ottawa Senators, Dominic Nicoletta. Dominic has an extensive amount of experience at the next level, entering his 19th season now with the Senators and his third as the team's head athletic therapist. After beginning his career as an assistant athletic therapist with the CFL's Toronto Argonauts in 2001, he has since worked more than 1,000 professional hockey games. Following his one season with the Argonauts, he spent his initial tenure in Ottawa as the Senators' assistant athletic therapist from 2002 to 2004, before spending the next five seasons as the head athletic therapist with the Senators' primary affiliate, the American Hockey League's Binghamton Senators, he then returned to the role of Senator's assistant athletic therapist from 09 through 2017 and has been the head athletic therapist of their NHL organization ever since. 
Dominic, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for coming on the show, man. Great. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Yeah, right on. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks for the nice intro. Yeah, no. <laughs> like I was saying earlier, well-deserved. I mean, you've accomplished uh, so much in your career and, and having been in, and just at the next level for so long, I think just speaks volumes to the work you've been doing with the team. And, um, you know, I've been wor- I've been looking forward to this one for, for a while. I was super happy to hear you'd be willing to, to join me today. So thank you. Um, we haven't really had... Uh, we haven't really had many many people in your field on the show yet, to be honest. And and to get someone of, of your caliber will just uh, will be phenomenal for everyone listening. Really appreciate you taking the time, man. Okay, well, you're welcome. Uh, hopefully, I can I can uh, add some add some value to your to your podcast for sure. I'm I'm happy to be one of the few ATs. It's good. <laughs> well, I think we've had only uh, one other, and, and he was a part of the Detroit Lions organization. So. Typically, uh, big Lions fan here too. Oh, are you right on? There you go. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of like uh, I'm a you know nothing against the the Sens, but I'm from Toronto, so I'm naturally a Leafs fan. But oh, so right. always, baby, you're you're always hoping they're going to turn it around eventually. I guess, right? Yeah. Oh, that's our. It's my favorite place to win and my worst place to lose. <laughs> the ACC. <laughs> well, I hope you don't take it personally. <laughs> Why? Well, because I, I, I came in. Well, when I came into the league, that was at the height of uh, their rivalry. Like those. Oh my God, those first two seasons were incredible. The rivalry. Yeah, I know that's. Uh, it's probably cool to be a part of. Maybe you can share some uh, some stories from from back then, if you don't mind. Uh, if you have anything to share with everybody listening. Oh, back in the day. Oh. Yeah, yeah. If you don't mind. It was just at a, at a, a different intensity level. It's, it's funny you say that. Um, so back in the day, so this is actually when I wasn't with the, the NHL club, I was, but we were playing in the ACC. It was during the lockout year. Yeah. And, um, and so we were up playing uh, the Marlies um, in the ACC. Cause, and, and it was, I believe it was sold out at the time because there was no hockey, NHL hockey, right? So, right. so we had, at that time, we had a, a fantastic team. We had uh, – just a, an all-star lineup because of a lot of the guys that probably would have been playing in the NHL at that time uh, mm. were back with us. So we had, you know, Spezza and Kelly and McGratton and Emery and yeah. Hothier and like just Alfredson even. Yeah. Well, we didn't have Alfredson on the big, on the, on that team, on the, on the Binghamton team. Right, right, right. Correct. So anyway, my, one of my favorite stories from that, that time was we, our, our tough guy, Brian McGratton, uh, <laughs> He was getting ready for the game and he's sitting on the plinth and, and our general manager at the time walks in, John Muckler. And he looks at, and he looks at Brian and he looks at him and he goes, Brian, I just can't wait to see what you do tonight. <laughs> and it was like, you could just see the eyes get smaller. Like Brian go like, Oh man. So John Muckler leaves and, and, and Grazzi looks at me and he goes, Oh boys, you guys are in for a show tonight. <laughs> and honest to God, it was the first five minutes of that game was just insanity. I think he hit everybody. He got in a fight with Yeah, I was gonna say he probably got into a fight too. Oh, I think it was tossed. It was like five, a ten. I think he hit a rep. It was it was just an unbelievable that was the type of uh animosity we had for for the Leafs at that time like and even at, at the you know at the coach and GM level the, the, the rivalry you could you could feel it you could, you could really eh? even at the, the staff level oh my god absolutely even at the staff level especially at the NHL level those first two seasons like 
they were battles. You know, they had yeah, incredible, incredible games. Yeah, yeah. Even nowadays, you still you still feel it when they play each other. Uh, I'm surprised to hear sure. that. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that the rivalry kind of trickled down into the American League as well. Oh, for sure, that, especially that year because there was there was no other. Uh, yeah, the lockout, right? Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. Well, the management and coaches had to get their their fix at our level. <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Um, well, I, I'm just curious a little bit. You know, uh, obviously, COVID's kind of put a, a blip in everybody's uh, schedules and season stuff. But uh, you know, I know the season's kind of ran late, and and obviously, uh, you don't have to reveal anything you don't feel comfortable with. But I'm just uh, I'm curious if there's you know any plans for the for the sense to get starting and, and training again soon to get ready for the season. I'm sure that's uh, the NHL wants to get underway eventually. Yes, as far as I know, um, I believe the league is still looking at the new year. So I don't, I don't think you're going to see any hockey until, until January, February. Right. Pretty sure. Right. So at some level, I, I know at first, I think they were looking at December 1st and a January 1st start. I, I'm not sure how viable now with, with, with the COVID cases rising, even here in Ottawa and Toronto and, and uh, yeah, if, if that's uh, feasible. So I, I got a feeling it's going to be closer to the new year for sure. Yeah. Uh, Christmas, I think in, in December throws a little wrench into the party there. They, they probably would have started at some point there, but then they would have to stop again for three days yeah. to take care of Christmas. So I think it's going to be the new year for sure. Uh, as far as guys training they're right now, they're on their own. Our facility actually isn't open yet. Uh, yeah. Wow. Due to, we only have a few players in town and, um, that are contracted by us. So if we were to open our facility, we'd have to uh, undergo, we'd have to go into phase two protocol, which would mean uh, testing and, and, mm-hmm. and, and basically a, a hybrid type of quarantining, even for the players, because uh, if they decided to train at our facility, then they wouldn't be able to train or skate anywhere else. Mm. So it's a tough decision to make. Um, and even on our end, it, it, it'll put on a, it, it's a, pretty big body of work to, to have a few, you know, five guys come in and, and skate and train at our facility, uh, the logistics and the, the admin, or even just the, the safety precautions that have to be taken is, is quite extensive. You want to make sure you have guys that are, yeah. are willing to do that and, and are willing to, to abide by the quarantining that would have to take place. Well, yeah. it's not really quarantining, but they'd have to be exclusive to us so we can at least yeah. uh, contact trace a little, little easier. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a, like a mini bubble almost. Right. So for, for guys that are sort of away from the facility right now, I'm just curious, like what's, what's your plan as, as sort of the athletic training staff um, to kind of keep them in shape and keep them going. And, and maybe for everybody listening right now, that's even having a delay in their season, what's some advice you can give them to kind of stay into it, um, you know, until things get underway. Sure. Um well, right now, the bulk of the, the majority of the work is, is on our strength and conditioning coaches, for sure. Uh, they're tasked with keeping in touch with, with, with all the guys and, and, and making sure that um, whoever they're training with, uh, that they're keeping up with their, their programs that, are, uh, that they've been assigned or, or that um, the, they're at least staying on top of the programs and, and fitness level that we expect mm-hmm. with the trainers that they have in their, in their cities. Uh, as far as as uh, as an athletic therapist, I, it really comes down to keeping track of 
making sure the guys are, are healthy. We've had some COVID cases and things like that. So you want to stay on top of those guys and making sure that, mm. uh, that they're staying healthy and their, their symptoms are, are, if they had COVID that the symptoms are completely resolved and then they don't have any long lasting symptoms. Um, and, and, and then as far as we want to make sure that the guys are able to get any, uh, treatment that are needed in their, in their, in their, uh, cities that they're in or even here. So, you know, there's a few guys that we, we still um, will keep tabs on here and, and, and take care of here. And we'll just, we use a, a clinic offsite to, to do that. And, um, and as far as guys that are away, we, we just uh, take each case separately, you know, and make sure that they're getting any of the work that they need done uh, taken care of. Uh, we only had a few, we were really lucky coming out of the, coming out of the, coming out of the stoppage that we were fairly healthy. So a lot of, most of our guys were not carrying any injuries going into the off season. Uh, mm-hmm. We did have a few uh, surges, but they were at the American league level. So uh, we didn't have to uh, take care of that here as far as that one, but they were, uh, they're being managed in their home cities and, and uh, progressing very well. Yeah. So do you kind of, do you still deal with uh, the Binghamton uh, team as well, uh, being the, the head athletic therapist with uh, the Sens? A, a little bit. The majority of that role goes on to our uh, director of sports medicine. Mm, okay. So he's t- he takes a more active role in making sure that uh, the guys in Binghamton are, are along with our head athletic therapist in Binghamton, uh, Craig, that that's falls upon, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Did I say bingo? It's Belleville now. Um, <laughs> I can't get it out of my system. I'm, it's Binghamton for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, yeah, moved, it's right? it's it's a little bit more their responsibility to keep track uh, of those guys. But uh, the sport, the sports, our director of sports medicine, Jerry Town, used to be our head athletic therapist. Um, uh, that's a little bit more his role now. To, to mm-hmm. But we we definitely it's a it's an open uh, conversation. It's a, definitely a collaboration between between all of us. We have a small group, so. There's a lot of overlap. Cool. Very cool. You know, I, I actually have a question. Maybe you can, um, and, and like I said, if you feel comfortable kind of answering it, I'm, I'm a little worried with, with COVID and what's going on with uh, a lot of the minor pro stuff. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're very uh, eager to get the NHL back and started and stuff. But what about these guys that are in the American League and, and even in the ECHL and stuff like that? Uh, do you think they'll have an opportunity to play if the NHL goes on or do you think they'll be waiting on standby? That's a good question. Um, I haven't heard yet. I, I think the American League has been given the same timeline. Mm, as okay. far as the East Coast League, I'm not sure. The American League, I believe, has been given the same timeline as us. So I, I think if we are able to go, uh, then the American League will probably have a uh, an opportunity to go as well. But it's, it's just going to be a lot tougher even for them than it will be for us. Is, is If there's no fans, that's, that's going to be a – really difficult for those smaller markets to, yeah, to, yeah, to function. So it, it actually, unfortunately at their level, it may be even at our level, it's, it's going to be really touch and go. Yeah. Uh, that it's just not financially feasible to run a season. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll and be I interesting think- to see what happens. And I know, I know they want it by no means does the NHL not want to have a season, but when it push comes to shove um, and you, <clears throat> and you're going to be tasked with playing games without any fans, 
that's a that's a tall order for the owners. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, you're seeing that in a lot of uh, a lot of minor pro leagues all over the world are basically indefinitely canceling their season just because the owners are going to have to shell out so much money. And yeah. uh, the fans are really what bring in the money. So I, I guess I was just curious because really at the end of the day, even at the NHL level, fans are not guys go down, guys get hurt. And you need guys, especially in the, at the American league level who are capable of jumping in. Right. So for sure. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what we do there. So I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be a, the roster will be a little bit different, uh, especially if the American league doesn't go, you, you we're going right. to have to carry it. It may be a, be closer to what we do uh, during playoffs. And so we, mm-hmm. we may have to, you're going to have to have those six guys, your, your, your consistent call-ups. You're going to have to have them near you and in shape and yeah. in, try to keep them in some type of game shape, which is extremely difficult. Yeah. Um, but, you know, almost run like a black aces type situation something like that. Now this is all speculation. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, how that's yeah, run. Totally. But I mean, if the American league doesn't go, I'm assuming that's what most teams are going to do. They're going to have this pool of players that they're going to keep in shape and close to them. And cause you're going to need guys to come in and out of the lineup. It's, it's going to be yeah. a, a more than likely a shortened season. You're going to be playing every other night. Uh, yeah. You're going to need, uh, you're going to need subs. Absolutely. Yeah. So if the American league is going, that's, it's, it's going to be a lot better for us because then guys will, will stay in game shape and then we'll just call them up as, as, as usual and you, you just keep your normal 22 on the roster. But yeah, if not, then we'll probably carry probably closer to the 30 mark. Yeah, wow, wow. That's well, uh, I guess that's why they got guys like you, right, who have all this experience. It's going to be a tough year for you guys to manage your staff, right? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be brand new. We didn't, we didn't have the, the bubble to, to break us in. Right. <laughs> and, right. and to have to deal with the COVID uh, protocols and we've had to deal with pro- COVID protocols at, on a general life basis, but, yeah. but as, uh, as, as it pertains to the, uh, the daily workings of a, an NHL club, it'll, it'll be, it'll be new for us as well. So that's why I'm hoping that we get this facility open so we can work out the kinks sooner than later, instead of training camp, I'd rather yeah. have a few weeks, maybe a month to, to, to work out the bugs. I mean, the, the NHL has done a really good job in, in, in detailing what each phase looks like and yeah. what are the requirements for each phase. And so that work is done. It's just, a, 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 it's just really a, um, it's a matter of implementing it properly and safely so that it doesn't get shut down, to be honest. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, even with the bubble, they did a great job, and even in the playoffs yeah. and stuff like that. And uh, I mean, it's it's a great league. It's it's run by smart people, and they, you know, they, I think they've been doing the right thing and, and keeping the player safety in mind. And uh, you know, hearing uh, the players' uh, association out as well, I'm sure that they share some concerns. But um, you Absolutely. know, it seems like everybody's been uh, been pretty happy with with the way things have been handled, handled, and things have been relatively safe for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. So. And, they, and that's definitely a collaboration. The NHLPA and the NHL uh, have met on all, all of those facets of, mm. of, of the phases. And, and so it has to be agreed upon by both sides. So it's definitely a, a collaborative effort. and It's just not one-sided for sure. So yeah. going forward, they, they, you just want to make sure everyone can, can 
do the job safely and and still provide a high level of entertainment for the fans, right? So yeah, there's a fine line there where you have to there's there's definitely compromises, but at the end of the day, they, you, you want to put on a good product. Yeah. And I think they have, it was, uh, it was great in the playoffs. They dressed up the rink and everything. They had like fan noise in the crowds. It was, uh, it was uh, pretty cool to watch. I think there's just going to be some sort of, you know, they're going to do more with TV. I'm sure there's going to be some type of endorsements or something that comes in to support uh, some of the financial turmoil that uh, a lot of teams are undergoing with not having fans. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hopefully. And I, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens if, if this, you know, if we start to go, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle Canada. Yeah. Right. Because I don't know if, how that border is going to work and, or if it'll be open by the time if uh, the season does start in the new year. So more than likely it's going to look a little different, right? We're probably going to have a Canadian division. Yeah. That'd be cool. Eh? <laughs> that'll be cool. Like if you're going to have to go through something like this and you're going to have to have <laughs> something look a little different than usual, at least yeah. make it fun. I think that's kind of exciting. I, I, I don't, I, I'm actually a little excited to be part of, you know, a Canadian division. Yeah. Yeah. Bring back the O2 rivalry. <laughs> yeah. Being Canadian, obviously you're Canadian as well. Like, I mean, they, I think they'll yeah. just eat it up. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be fantastic. Yeah. No, I agree. Maybe renew some, some, some rivalries that really couldn't take off. Like, you know, maybe in, incite a rivalry with a Western conference team. You just never know. Yeah. Auto well, Calgary, uh, go at it. <laughs> oh man, that'd be cool. I, I, know, I actually didn't think of that until you mentioned it. That, uh, yeah, that'd you only see really them weird. twice a year. So it's really hard to have a, really hard to, uh, yeah. to, to like foster a, a rivalry when you only play them twice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll see what unfolds. I appreciate the insight and, and you sharing some information. I'm sure uh, everybody listening will, will appreciate getting a little bit of an inside look uh, without giving away too much. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's jump right in, uh, sure. obviously, because, uh, we have a lot to go over with, with you today. And, uh, you know, I really want to dig into your expertise. Um, but maybe you can just start off by, uh, briefly sharing a bit of your story and your background before you went pro, so to say, and, and sort of how we sure. got to where we are today. Uh, yeah. So I started, uh, really the journey started, I guess, in, in my undergrad, I was, went to the university of Ottawa in, uh, uh, human kinetics. Um, and I didn't really exactly know what I wanted to do in the, in the field, but I, I knew I wanted to, uh, be in the human body field or in the human movement field at, at some level. I wasn't sure I was even toying with medical doctor, but I, it was more about, more about, I was more fascinated with the body than I think it was with medicine. Yeah. Uh, uh, and really my, it was that first year that we had. Uh, my intro to human kinetics class, we had a, an athletic therapist coming uh, that that um, was a guest during one of our one of our classes, and and that was my first real introduction into what athletic therapy was. He was he was the athletic therapist for the uh, uh, for the CFL Ottawa team at the time, mm. and um, uh, Dave Barry and. And I thought it was awesome. I, you know, you always see these guys run on the field, but yeah, you don't really know what they do or what they are or what they're called. And, yeah. and so he, he, he shared a lot of insight and, in, you know, what an athletic therapist does at that time. This was, you know, obviously in, in the nineties, uh, late nineties. Yeah. And, uh, I was, 
I was intrigued. I was like, that's, maybe that's it. You know, I always loved sport and played soccer growing up. And, you know, this was maybe my chance to, to bridge the gap there to, to still uh, be part of a team atmosphere, but, but just a, a different role, you know? And, and, yeah. and uh, so I, I was definitely intrigued and, and, and I used uh, that talk really to, to kind of look into athletic therapy more and, and then in my final year at Ottawa, I was, you know, had taken my athletic injuries. I had taken, I think, a trainer course. It was, I believe, through Hockey Canada, if I remember correctly. But um, ended up working with the men's basketball team. They were looking for a, a student, you know, trainer, they call it at that time, or a therapist. I can't yeah. call myself a therapist at that time. And uh, so I, I spent a year with them and, you know, did just about everything. And we were, you know, used what little athletic therapy knowledge I knew from the course I had. And I'd taken a taping course and, 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 and used the guidance of the physiotherapist at the time that ran the Ottawa U clinic. Mm-hmm. And I was hooked. I loved every second of it. Um, I loved the travel part of it. I love being on the bench during the games. Yeah. Uh, I loved, you know, taping the guys and, 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 and the banter that goes on in the training room. So I knew at that time, yeah, I knew at that time, what I was going to do. <laughs> so yeah. I looked into which schools in Ontario uh, offered uh, athletic therapy or basically offered the courses that would allow me to write the national exam. And there was two in Ontario, Sheridan and York, and I applied to both. And I decided to go to York University and that's where it all began. Uh, uh, York was an unbelievable experience for me. Um, I was able to just, their their athletic therapy program was embedded into their undergrad. So I didn't have to take the undergrad courses. I'd already done that. I had my degree from Ottawa. And so I used, I was, I think I only had three classes a a semester. So, and I used the rest of the time to volunteer for anything and everything, you know, you're, you're given a clinic in a a different sport every year, but, and then there's, you have a lot of other time depending on when your sport ends. Um, And I did, I took advantage of everything. I didn't turn down a single opportunity to, to experience different sports in that but my you. major sports. Yeah. My major sports were soccer uh, and men's volleyball. And then my first uh, foray into hockey was, uh, was with the varsity team my last year mm. with the York Yeoman. The Yeoman at the time, I think the Lions now and hockey and I collected. I was, I really enjoyed uh, that experience. It was, it was, it was great. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious in your, your personal opinion, obviously you, you found a, a love for, for just, uh, you know, uh, physical therapy and athletic therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what specifically about all, like what you do in the field intrigues you the most and just continues to surprise you today? Um, well, the, the things that intrigued me the most and what, what intrigued me back then and what still do now is, is, is that interaction with the athlete. Uh, athletes are unique individuals and, and uh, when they're injured um, all they want to do is get better and get back to what they love as quickly mm-hmm. as possible mm-hmm. and that that entire process is the part that I love the most so you'll go through your ups and downs. You'll go through uh, where the injury progresses quickly. 
and and the athletes really happy about it and 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 if things are going well then you go to the little plateau and then yeah. you know sometimes there's some down times in in that and, and sometimes regressions uh, but it's that entire experience with the athlete um, and and helping them work through those obstacles uh, it's fascinating to me and it's it's uh it's 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 one of the best feelings when you were able to guide an athlete through that progression and see them excel uh, back on the field or on the ice or whatever happens to be their sport. It's a, it's, it's a great feeling. Yeah. And it intrigued me back then and it was motivating for me then. And it, and it still is today for sure. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we can dive right into sort of that that rehab work side of things. Sure. And um, you know, it's sort of a tough topic to discuss, and and uh, going through injury as an athlete is, yeah, you know, easily one of the hardest times for anyone. And and um, you know, but I want to dive into a, a few things. And and just off the top, something my trainer introduced to me while I was at uh, the University of Vermont playing college hockey was just a simple way to rehab and and heal sprains. Mm-hmm. And so whether uh, your wrist or your hip or your hamstring um, as long as there weren't any signs of a tear he always sort of said to me you know exercise got you into this and exercise is going to get you out of it so um, <laughs> that's a cool thing do you, do you share kind of the same view <laughs> he, he's not it, it's not wrong uh, there's a little more involved but it's absolutely it's it's all about any any injury is about managing tissue load it's about mm. managing the integrity of that tissue. So whatever you've injured, you've exceeded the capacity of that tissue at some level. So you have your first, second, third degree sprains or tears or or avulsions or whatever you want to call them. It's still tissue damage, right? So to, depending on the level of that tissue damage, it requires different things to, to restore that, that tissue. Right. But first and foremost is, is load like your your tissue responds to force, right? And so it's it's your ability to manage that force which allows um, that injury and that rehab to progress. Mm. If you give it too much, it's no good. If you give it too little, it's no good. It has to be progressive, and it has to be just the right amount that the tissue is stressed. Uh, but not exceeded and that's when the tissue will respond and and uh, get stronger i know that's fairly vague but you can literally apply that to any and every injury that you ever come across you have to be able to to manage the load and there's different things you can do at every level of of injury so right from the beginning uh you know you have that first 48 hours where you have to kind of allow that inflammation phase to kind of um, run its course and, and you want to manage that it doesn't get out of hand, mm. but then your force can start almost immediately with light isometrics, mm. right? So you can isometric exercise is, is one of the best ways to manage an acute through an acute phase of injury because it one uh, doesn't require that, 
heart to move initially, which usually at the mm. uh, acute injury is going to be extremely painful and probably not recommended and may create more swelling. Secondly, it doesn't create any swelling. And thirdly, it you can grade it really easily, right? So you can even just apply minor pressure. And as long as there's a, a small contraction, yeah, uh, at least that'll maintain or keep uh, the lymphatics uh, stimulated and working properly. And you, you won't get into trouble with excessive swelling or, or doing too much and creating more damage than necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe you can give everybody listening an example. Obviously isometric for everybody listening is, you know, when you're kind of, when you're, when you're holding, a, a, a you know, a, a contraction at length in a, in a still static position, but maybe what, Maybe you can uh, detail if you feel comfortable, uh, not necessarily mentioning names, but like an injury that happened this year and, and some of the work that you did using that, that kind of isometric idea to help them with the recovery process. Oh, we used it. I don't need to be specific. I, I used it in every injury we had this year. You <laughs> take it from, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We, we, from, from uh, groin strains, so, you know, to do it, adductor strains to, yeah. uh, to, uh, AC joint sprains to, to name it, to, uh, shoulder subluxations, to, to dislocations, to, uh, name the injury. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, the isometrics are always my first, uh, go-to into applying force to that tissue. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever you damage tissue, uh, the body is fantastic at responding to that damage, creating that inflammation response, and beginning the, the healing process by by laying down more tissue, by laying down scar, correct? Yeah. If you don't apply force to that process, uh, then the scar is laid haphazard, which means it just, the the tissue and the, the is, the collar is, is, um, uh, lay down in any which way, but if you apply force in the direction of whatever that tissue is is supposed to move, or or the, in the lines of uh, of where that tissue uh, is used as in in activity, right. uh, then then the tissue will lie down appropriately and stronger and and in a more resilient way, if that makes any right. sense. Yeah. So we, I've used it at the beginning of just about every injury we've ever had. So if, if even if it's uh, at the, be, the very start, so if you want to take an old oste- osteopathic technique is to use isometric contractions rhythmically. So at the beginning, uh, especially when it's, when you have a, let, let's take a, let's take a high ankle sprain, for example, where you have quite a bit of swelling involved or even just a normal ankle sprain for that matter. Uh, they're going to have a, you know, trouble weight bearing at that time. The range of motion is not going to be great. They probably have a little bit and we're going to use whatever little they have to, to, to make sure that we can uh, uh, keep the swelling at bay. Yeah. Uh, but rhythmic isometric contractions can also be a, a great help in, in that. So all that is, is, is instead of maintaining the isometric contraction for a lengthy amount of time, usually you know, that six to eight second time frame up to 10 seconds, is mm-hmm. it's actually, you want to try to equate it almost to your heartbeat. 
Okay. So Maybe you now, can... you're, now you're rhythmically just isometric track. Still, that limb is not moving. It's against an unyielding force. So you the, the limb will not overcome the force. And yeah. it's just constant and, and <clears throat> constant rhythmic pulses. And that's really good for swelling and really good for, for lymphatic drainage. Wow. That's well, I'm actually glad that you brought up the ankle because obviously for goalies, that's just, I had some crazy, I had about three almost career ending ankle injuries. Um, and when you talk about sort of that pulsing of it, mm-hmm. uh, talking about basically like you're, you're contracting on the, on a beat and then you're letting go on a beat, contracting on a beat, letting go on a beat without actually working that range of motion. That's what you mean? Correct. That's right. And you're, and you're using your pulse as a guide. Hmm. Okay. So it's it's to the heartbeat, and that's what uh, even makes it a little bit more effective. Wow, very very cool. And you don't have to be that intricate with it. Even just minor isometric contractions, pain free at the beginning, yeah. especially right. We're talking, yeah. uh, are excellent for lymphatic drainage. Are excellent for uh, getting that patient or getting that athlete. Uh, little bit closer to normal movement right so these are all used as in, in graded isometrics are where you start and obviously you're going to end up at the end of it where they're at game-like speeds and 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 more plyometric explosive movements right but at the beginning you you still applying force yeah you, you yeah. try to stay away for the passive stuff as much as possible uh-huh. i mean th- there is a place but but yeah. the, the sooner that you can apply a little bit of force integrity into those tissues, the better. Yeah. Well, maybe, um, you know, for, for some goalies who are for going through some more serious injuries and obviously always consult uh, medical professionals, everybody listening, don't, don't necessarily like go out and do this on your own, but, uh, just to give a better, absolutely. Um, you know, the sort of the process you guys go through to identify what's wrong, rehab the area fully and then get them back. So you kind of detailed, you do the ISO, uh, after 48 hours, maybe you can kind of detail the whole timeline of what you guys typically go through to, to get your guys back to normal. Well, at the beginning is you want to restore. Uh, so like I said, once you're through the inflammation phase and, and you're, uh, then you want to restore range of motion first and foremost. So once you restore full range of motion in all planes of movement, and then you want to restore uh, strength. So then you're starting to add more load, right? So then Mm -hmm. once you've, swelling is gone, you've restored range of motion, you're restoring strength. The next biggest thing is, is balance proprioception. You must integrate that body part back into the brain, if that makes sense. So when you're injured and those first few weeks that you have a little less movement, that, that, that limb or that body part becomes a little blurred in the brain right? Because it's, it's uh, not being moved as much body and your brain wants movement and how that body part reacts uh, and, and is able to be contracted and, and able to, to be used is all dependent on how well your brain knows where that limb is and knows what that ankle is doing. Let's take the ankle, for example, in reaction to the ground and in space, right? So that's mm-hmm. the next biggest thing. Is huge. So obviously, swelling, ROM, strength, proprioception. 
Mm. So proprioceptive night brings in all your balance types exercise. That brings in, you know, your your even superficial stimulation where you can bring in the vibratory stuff. Those those vibratory uh, massage guns are unreal for for that to wake up a site. You're you're yeah. you're lighting up your your sensory cortex and and making the body and brain aware more of that injured body part, mm. uh, which may seem counterproductive, but it's actually extremely effective. Um, mm. And then you want to challenge that body part, you know, uh, in a closed chain type of environment. So when that body parts on the ground uh, and so <clears throat> that brings in, like I said, all your balance type of exercises, your vestibular type exercises, hand-eye coordination, all those types of things. You want to integrate that body part back into the body. Right. And then, and then you have to make sure that you're, they're maintaining their, their fitness. And so that's when the strength conditioning coaches come in. And it's a, it's a big time collaboration uh, between the athletic therapists and the strength conditioning coaches throughout the entire um, process, yeah. rehab process. And they got to maintain, you got to make sure that, that athlete is staying fit as much as possible. And, and so mm. at the beginning part where they're given, you know, we give them a lot more restrictions of what they can and can't do just so we can keep that injured body part safe. And then towards the end, it's a lot more free reign and they're allowed to, to really start to, to push that athlete to, to bring them back up to um, um, fitness levels and, and sport performance. Right. So yeah. the, the last part, of, of, of the rehab process is really integrating that athlete back into the sport that we're dealing with. And so if it's a goalie, they got to get back on the ice, right? They got to get on the ice and they got to start doing goalie things. And so that, that starts usually with the strength conditioning coach on the ice uh, with the help of the goalie coach, right? So they want to make sure that they're starting slow and they start with just movements and then, and then incorporating you know, your regular volume of goalie work. And, and that'll start to see the transition between the strength and conditioning coach and, and our side of the, and, and our side of the rehab process to more of the goalie coach. Now is starting to do what he, they do best and, and, and really uh, making sure that the goalie is back up to speed performance wise on ice, mm-hmm. seeing pucks, integrating back into practice slowly. And then finally, you know, full practice and then making a determination whether they're ready to back go, uh, ready to go, uh, in a real game. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, obviously a long process and, um, you know, on the mental side of things, um, you know, for kids out there going through heart injury and and going through tough rehab, it can always seem kind of like the end is never near, but, uh, what's some advice you have for, for young goalies going through injuries and, and how to, to mentally manage the stress of wanting to get better, having setbacks and sometimes, uh, you know, wanting to, to get back to play so bad. Right. Absolutely. Um, well at our level, we, we manage that by, um, really setting apart long-term goals and short-term goals. So obviously the, the long-term goal is, um, to get back in play, but depending on your injury, that that you know entails certain physiological timelines, right? So it's really important, that, and and I hope they they ask doctors this question. So whoever they've seen 
physician wise or AT wise or PT wise, whatever they've seen to help them through their injury, that they give them these kind of timelines so they can kind of keep them these ballpark timelines in the back of their mind. So that, not, not that they're hard and fast, but at least it gives them some kind of idea that, you know what, it's not going to take two days. It's going to take maybe six weeks. Okay. On a, on the, on a good day. So it, it helps them set themselves up for, okay, we're in this, you know, this is a, not a, not a sprint. Okay. This is a little bit more of a marathon and that we're going to take these steps and, and, and a little detail plan is, is also very effective. You know, you want goals for that day of rehab. You want goals for that week and you want goals for the, for the end of that month. You know what I mean? And, and they're all going to be different. Um, well, how we try to manage the stress of the injury and the loneliness of the injuries, unfortunately, sometimes, you know what I mean? You're, you're not uh, usually with the main club and, and, and you're rehabbing on your own is we, we really try to bridge that gap in the NHL, especially, well, at least in Ottawa, we do, we don't keep the guys separate. We do bring the guys that are injured longer term in earlier, obviously, so we can get them started into their routines and, and get them going before the main guys come in that are still playing. But at that point, they're still integrated. So the guy, they still get the camaraderie from their, from their peers they still get to see the boys and, and, or girls, depending on which team you have. And, and they still get to have that locker room banner. That is so important. It's so important for their psyche. So important for the rehab makes them feel better and, and motivates them. It's like, okay, here we go. Like we're going to get, you know, they still get to interact with their coaches, which, which is a big concern for them. You know, they, that they're going to get forgotten, right? They're going to get, get, out of the loop but so we keep them around and we keep them we keep them busy uh they're doing their work the boys see that they're working hard the coaches see that they're working hard the gm can come by and see that they're working hard and that they have uh good intention and and that they that their their sole focus is to return to play right so that that goes a long way for how you feel as as far as as far as dealing with the highs and lows definitely like you have to really encourage communication um get a really encouraged that they communicate even at home and they have a good support group there uh that helps them through the tough times because inevitably every injury everyone wants to say it's a nice curve that goes straight up you know what i mean a nice graph like and, it, and injuries never do that Injuries always go up, down, and around. As long as that, as long as that squiggly line is still going up, you're still good. But those dips in the squiggly line, you know, they just take a little perseverance. Sometimes it, you just have to back off a little bit, and 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 maybe it's, you know those athletes that are really highly motivated and really trying to get better. Sometimes they they do too much. You know, there's a fine line. Like I said, where we talked about at the beginning, is that that load, that tissue load. There's a fine line of of where you're exceeding what the tissue can handle. And if you keep doing that on a daily basis, well, you're setting yourself back. It'll manifest a few days later, right? You're like, oh my God, I'm not feeling good anymore. I was just feeling awesome. And usually when they're feeling awesome, um, you know, they start to do a little bit too much. So, but as far as the mental psyche, keeping them around the team is huge. Um, and then we sometimes they, they do need a, a little bit of extra help. And, and, and so we have some of those consults available to us 
you know, sports psychology or, or, or a little bit of psychology goes a long way. Sometimes you just need uh, a few coping skills to get through. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I want to, I want to maybe dive into probably a, another big area of your expertise and, and that's injury prevention. Sure. And, uh, you know, specifically for goaltenders, where are the areas you think that, you know, goalies are most susceptible to injury? Maybe you can detail some areas that get neglected a lot that maybe a lot of goaltenders don't really focus on. Woo. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I think they have to look at, um, I think hips, hips, knees, and ankles. <clears throat> and yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, the best way to uh, prevent injury is I know it's going to sound a little bit like a broken record here, but those areas must be able to handle the stresses of whatever sport you're playing. So as a goalie, obviously you guys are the, the most viable um, or at least the most style, the, the style that's used the most is that butterfly type style, right? Yeah. And, and so over the years that, that does a lot of wear and tear because you're, you're accessing that same internal rotation of that hip, right? Mm-hmm. So that is one area where goalies really do need to address. And, and the, especially the butterfly goalies that, that are addressing that internal rotation, but they have to, they have to, or at least be able to maintain the rest of that joint. Mm. So, so full internal rotation is great. And, and usually goalies will have that. Uh, it's, but external rotation is also very important. You, you want to be able to make sure that you can access um, the entire joint. Uh, so there's a, there's a, there's a couple, there's a great ways to do that. Um, there's a great, one of the ways we use it is it's called functional range conditioning. Mm. Dr. Andrea Spina is a big proponent of that. That's his uh, system, but it doesn't have to be that system, but, the premise is is pretty valid, especially for the hip. Uh, because hockey is so specific on the movements that it uses, and it's not really human movements, you want to make sure that off ice that you're doing things that maintain that joint health. And, mm-hmm. and I think the CARS system that he has in this FRC, the uh, controlled articular rotations, are fantastic yeah. for that. So just being pain-free being able to to bring the joint through a full range of motions. So making sure that hip can internally rotate, externally rotate, flex, extend, and in a circular motion. You know what I mean? Bring it all together and you're doing those nice circles for the cars. What's also really important for the hips is is when you when goalies get into those internally rotated positions and getting into those where they're covering posts especially make sure that that's something that they can put load through and mm-hmm. contract. So make sure that they can own, they own that position. Make sure that you can actively internally rotate that hip in different, in different degrees of hip flexion, which are really difficult to do. Yeah. But when you guys are forced to scramble and when you guys are forced to, to really push and, 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 and get into positions that are, uh, at end range, make sure that you're able to control that end range. Make sure that you've that the first time that you're into that position is not on ice. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're getting into these positions. I have a great 
like I'll use Dominic Hasek as a, as an example. Mm-hmm. And the, the people used to marvel at how reactive he was and how, how crazy he was in the net and all these weird positions. And, oh my God, look, he just made that up. None of that was made up. He practiced that daily in the gym. Mm. He even had a mirror put down low so he could practice those moves. So when, when he's on his stomach and, and lifting the pad up in, in extreme external rotation, those were all moves that he felt necessary for a goalie to be able to do. And he also practiced. So he was able to actively move into those positions whenever he wanted. It wasn't just reflexive. It wasn't just reflexive. Mm-hmm. I think also uh, knees are extremely important for goalies. And, and what I mean by that is, is the internal and external rotation of, of the lower leg on the knee is really important. When you guys go and cover the post and you're in that, that fully flexed knee position with, the, with your ankle yeah. jammed against the post, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's called fully, uh, Yeah, call it RV. That's, yeah. a, that's a really stressful position. That's a yeah. crazy stressful, especially in that posterior lateral aspect of the knee. Mm-hmm. So the more flex, the more rotation you have at the knee, the better you'll be able to get into that position. Which I think is it's the way it's taught. To be honest, I don't think you guys have a way around it. To be unless you're a standing no, goalie, unless no. you're Craig Anderson, unless you're going to be Craiger, <laughs> up in the end there. But yeah. even Craig got into that position. We worked on his rotation a lot. And because he had that, that problem with that posterior lateral corner, there's a lot mm-hmm. of tissue that comes into there, and and, and melt, like you have, you have lateral gastroc, you have you have the hamstring, the, the lateral hamstring, the biceps femoris coming in through there. You have popliteal tendon, you have a, you have the lateral um, uh, collateral ligament, you have the lateral meniscus and the ligament of the meniscus. It's like there's a lot of stuff in that one corner which you guys stress a lot. So the more rotation that you have in there, the better you'll be able to flex on it. And, and the, the better you'll be able to handle that position. Mm-hmm. And then, and then uh, I think the ankles is hugely important because unfortunately the skate are getting stiffer. But I think for you guys to be able to handle um, that position and other positions where you have to get in the ankle, you, you should be able to get into everted and inverted positions safely and with load. And that, right. the only way you can do this is to practice it. The only way you do this is to, is to is to is to actively get into those positions, you know, hopefully off ice in your training, so that when you get to the ice, it's not an uncommon place to be, and you've handled that load of the, your entire body basically when you go to cover the post, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've done it before, and and yeah. and it's a it's a train thing. You're not relying on pure reflex. Yeah. Um. So maybe you can kind of detail a bit for, for each of those three areas. You kind of mentioned the car system. Yeah. Um, maybe you can just dive in quickly into the three different areas you mentioned and maybe something that people can start incorporating into their routines at home to, uh, you know, counteract those things. Sure. Sure. Like so for the hip is uh, the easiest probably for most goalies would just start with the 90, 90. Mm. And, uh, and that will make sure that you, you have access to the end range, uh, internal rotation, external rotation, and the cars in the, the FRC system is really about applying isometric load at those end ranges. So right. you're 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 holding each contraction for ten seconds, but it's it's a maximal contraction. So it is not. It is just like 
working out. So you, you the the more effort that you're able to put in at that end range and in that limb, the more the better response that you're going to get. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not enough for you guys just to stretch for thirty seconds. You're not, yeah. you're not you're not affecting the tissue enough. You're not making change there. You're accessing the range that you have, which is nothing wrong with that. I, I don't have anything against stretching, uh, but you're not making it better. You're not yeah. increasing that range. And then when once you're there, then then you can have, then you can play with that end range, and you can do end range liftoffs and things like that. Yeah, but I think full lower body cars or full body cars. It's hugely important for a goalie just for joint health. So to go through a full cars routine for the hip, the knee and the ankle is, is really important on daily. And it takes no time. That would take you 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. but, but the FRC system would, would, takes a little longer for each joint. Uh, Mm -hmm. As far as the knee goes, uh, you want to make sure that that internal next rotation, again, I would use the FRC system and you, you know, you, you, you hold first, an internal rotation of the knee um, for two minutes. You create that tissue creep. And then again, you apply the, the isometric loads, the isometrics for uh, 10 seconds at a time, and then try to increase further in 10 seconds at a time, try to increase further. And, th- and then and then you're actively going uh, the opposite way. They call it the, their, their, their aggressive angle. Mm. It's getting a little complicated. It's tough to do without a demonstration, but yeah, totally. uh, you get, they can – they can easily find this stuff uh, on YouTube. Yeah, I was gonna say, no problem. Look up, look up Dr. Andrea Spina's stuff. FRC, functional range conditioning. Uh, you can find full cars routines as well. Uh, controlled articular rotations, really good for joint health. And then if you really want to be strong at end range motions uh, and and be an access end range, like if. If you're a goalie and you don't have full internal and external rotation, uh, you're 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 setting yourself up for uh, issues at the hip level, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. There's no question. What about uh, muscle activation? Having sort of proper yeah. muscle activation in like your glutes, for example. You know how important is that type of work for injury prevention as well for goaltenders? Well, I think I think they go hand in hand, right? So yeah. let let's say you're like the I know the glute activation is a big thing in the strength conditioning world. And, 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 and really what it comes down to is if your glute can't contract properly, you're having an issue on the other side of the joint, right? So right. if, if your if your glute activation is as strong as it should be, or for your glute, if you feel it's weaker or it's not, <clears throat> you can absolutely train it, but you have to take a look at the anterior side. You have to take a look at your flexors and your quads and your, you know, look into the iliacus, the psoas part of it, because more than likely what's the issue is your glute is having a, an issue with extension because it can't extend. It's getting resistance, right? The less resistance that your glute has in extending that leg, the better, the better the contraction will be. You know, that's when, that's when your daily maintenance, you were talking about injury prevention. That's when you're daily maintenance for a goalie really comes in like uh, routines are so important. You know, you have to, depending on what level you're playing at, um, but most of it can be done on your own. Like you have to, you know, be able to scan your tissue and roll, you know, you can want to use a roller as an example. You can use the roller to, to scan 
let's, let's say hip flexors or quads or, you know, find those, you know, extremely those tender points and, you know, and hang out there for a little bit and, and see if you can calm the nervous system down and, and see that you let the, that tension, that tonus in that muscle go and then take a look and then, and then, you know, have a nice little stretch through that hip flexor and whether you incorporate the FRC principles within that or not, uh, at least you're accessing the range that you have, which a lot of yeah. times when you're starting before you're going, you, you're a little shorter than you, you're not, you don't have the full access for whatever reason, you know, the, you know, you have, maybe it was a tough game, but the game before, maybe you're just overloaded, but it, that'll give you a little sense if you're rolling, um, on top of muscle, you can kind of get a sense of where your nervous system is at. Like a lot of time of that tissue tension or that, that anterior tissue tension is, is nervous system. Whole. It's, it's, it's increased tonus. So mm-hmm. you, you got to kind of deal with that first before you stretch and then have a nice little stretch to access that range that you have and then try your glute out. I guarantee mm-hmm. you the contraction will be different. Mm-hmm. And you can apply that to, to any muscle, any, any opposing muscle. You know, same with, you know, goalies are always in that, depending on which um, arm is the blocker, is always in that internally rotated position, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a tough position to be in all the time. And, you, and we'll see goalies that have a lot of issues with that that side of the uh, the neck and shoulder from being in that internal position, right? So, you know, we have to open them up and, and that thing. we have to open up the chest, you know, make sure that the tonus of the anterior chest is there and you're able to contract your 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 extensor musculature on the, on the shoulders like you know, so your obviously your rotator cuff and 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 uh triceps and the whole deal yeah yeah well uh you know you mentioned uh and you you just mentioned it now but we also talked about it prior on the call you know, a bit of uh soft tissue work as well uh with your mm-hmm. athletes um you do a lot of that but maybe you can just detail you know what exactly that is and and explain a little more for everyone listening uh, you sure. know what exactly all that's about Sure. Uh, the soft tissue work has been getting a lot of play lately in the media and, and in, even in our world. Um, yeah. And really what we're doing, uh, unless you're having, unless you're really dealing with a, an adhesed uh, piece of tissue, and even then that's, that's extremely tough to deal with, more, more than likely any of the soft tissue work that you're doing is you're dealing with the nervous system. So you're mm-hmm. dealing with this, the sensory part of that uh, tissue and that muscle. And you're, you're, you're trying to bring that muscle from a state of tonus, from a state of uh, hyper, like call it what you will, like tonus, hyper excitability, increased neural drive, whatever you mm-hmm. want. Um, you have to try to calm that down. Right. And so, uh, when guys come in with tight hip flexors, or tight groins, or tight quads, really as a function of my job is to find out, first of all, why. Yeah. And, and usually it's, those are brakes, right? The body's putting the brakes on for some reason. Right. And, and usually, not always, but usually it's midline, it's, you know, pelvis midline, issue so they're Mm. unable to control uh, 
their midline, their core, their, their hips, the pelvis. Yeah. And that manifests in, in, in these breaks being applied. Right. And so they're, you know, you get tight hip flexors, you get tight adductors, you get uh, the common one TFL, <clears throat> all these muscles. So really dressing the root cause is the number one thing. And then you have to make the athlete feel better. Right. So, yeah. So there's, a variety of different tissue techniques that can be used. We like soft tissue release, which is a passive uh, pin and stretch type of, uh, of um, uh, modality. Uh, but we've yeah. used all types of massages. Fantastic. You, you can cup anything that really, that will allow that nervous system to relax and, 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 put a sense of comfort into that muscle and, and, and it'll usually get, get the job done. You can get a little more specific when it comes to uh, more chronic stuff. Um, yeah. And then you can start to use, you know, a little bit more like fascia manipulation and, and, and things like that. But that's a little more, uh, you, you're going to need a therapist for that. But yeah. if we're talking about guys that can do things on their own, yeah, uh, I think it's really good, really good process for especially the up and coming goalie and especially when they're younger yeah is the routine get into the routine of scanning your tissue know what's tight what's not tight and 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 you can address that on your own for sure so you can more than likely it's not chronic right <laughs> at the at the younger level and so you can get in there and and the routine that we like is 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 first of all warm up Mm. like you know what i mean like raise your temperature a little bit yeah. exercise right exercise cure like movement or <clears throat> a little bit of activity cures a lot of that a lot of that tonus a lot of that stiffness issue a lot of that you know low back tightness just a little bit of movement right move first 10 15 minutes whatever you want to do treadmill run walk move around increase increase the circulation right yeah. then then see how you feel and then more than likely you'll, you'll you'll be able to pinpoint a few areas right so for goalies what are, what are they going to be i would focus on obviously uh adductors flexors right your quads and 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 roll those and see how those feel mm. and then any tissue that you've rolled or that you've done any that type of work with, whether you use a roller or a ball or a massage gun or tiger tail, whatever you want to use, yeah. then that same tissue, you should put it on stretch. Mm. So give it a little bit of a stretch. Make sure you can access that range, right? So give it a little bit of stretch. If you want to do some contract relax when you're there, fantastic. If you want to do some FRC principles when you're there, even better, right? And then always... What, whatever the antagonist is for that muscle that you just did. So if we're talking about hip flexors, then you got to fire the glute, fire extension. And I don't say just glute because there's a lot more than just the glute that right. does extension, right? But you got to fire the extension. That's what helps maintain that work that you've just done. If you just do one or the other, you never. It's never going to maintain. It's very transient. Tissue length and 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 quality takes time. It takes time under tension, time under load. And if you do this little process, uh, 
it goes a long way in, in, in how you feel and, and, and getting things to fire properly. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I love the detail, man. Um, and, uh, you know, and for everybody listening, you know, obviously uh, get, have YouTube handy, have uh, Google handy. Dom's a, a super smart guy and uh, not everybody's an athletic therapist, but a lot of this information you guys will be able to access online and, and see it for yourselves. Yeah, you don't uh, want to see me on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> trying to mimic these poses. <laughs> uh, that's all right, man. I'm sure you've been doing for uh, 25 years now, right? This yeah. stuff. So. <laughs> um, but you know, of course there's a, a lot of people's seasons are about to get underway yeah. and, uh, as well as presumably the NHL as we discussed, not too far out, hopefully, but, you know, I know you work heavily with, uh, the head and strength conditioning coaches in your organization <laughs> and, uh, Chris Schwartz was, who yeah. was in fact, uh, on the podcast a while back, but I know you guys likely work together to put together some programs for the team. For sure. Um, but, you know, at the NHL level, what exactly does an in-season training program look like for you guys? And how important is it that, you know, they keep up with their off-ice training during the season? Yeah, it's 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 a tough it's a tough task. Um, Schwartz does a real good job, but it, it, it's 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 a it's difficult during the season. Um, the, the NHL schedule is getting more and more compressed, especially with the new the, the special events they add in and Olympics coming in and different things like that. And they have these. Uh, you know, abroad games, uh, you know, games in Europe and things like that. So that we're, we're for the most part playing every other day. Yeah. Uh, so the maintenance of your conditioning and strength is, is one of the toughest tasks throughout the year, to be honest. Uh, and I know what we try to do is what Schwartz tries to do for sure is at least add a couple of lifts a week. Yeah. Now these come in different forms and, and it's not heavy, but it's, it's enough to create at least a little bit of a stimulus so that you're just trying to maintain the strength that they came into. You're really not trying to make improvements during the year. It's really hard, if not impossible. Yeah. Uh, especially the guys that are playing consistently. Yeah. Uh, so usually they, their circuit style uh, training uh, events, and they're usually twice a week. Uh, they're not always before practice. Usually ones end up being before practice. And because of time constraints, one's usually after a game. Yeah. So the guys will come in and yeah, and will lift, they'll lift after a game. Um, definitely. Especially the guys that uh, have reduced minutes. Uh, they'll lift after a game anyway, or, or do some type of work just to try to keep up that fitness. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, yeah. that's usually uh the i guess the the timeline of it uh but like i said it's usually in um some sort of a circuit and it's not always lifting like it's it's it has to be some lifting you have to get some upper body and lower body work like i said just to maintain their strength yeah. but then it's you also because you're only playing hockey now uh, there's also uh drills in there to maintain their athleticism. Mm. So that's a huge thing. Like back in the day, we didn't have to worry about it as much because every, almost every athlete, almost every hockey player, every athlete was a multi-sport athlete. They played mm. multiple things. So they weren't always involved in just hockey. And now it's rare. We're getting hockey players that played 12 months a year for a long time. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of what we do during the week or what sort I should say more 
closely Schwartzy, but we definitely encourage it and, and we will definitely help is, is they maintain their athleticism, their agility, the running, stopping, starting, throwing, uh, hand eye coordination. Like it's amazing. Uh, the deficits you can see throughout a year if, the, if it's not maintained and you can see just in the gym and you're like, Oh boy, this guy's, you know, like, like simple things like turning right, yeah. turning left, tapping the foot with your left foot. Some people can't turn a certain direction depending on which way they're normally on their stick. Right. It's yeah. so yeah. that's huge. So definitely try to maintain strength. And that's usually done by a couple of lifts a week and then maintain their athleticism. Main, make sure that they're, can still be an athlete you know and that brings in all kinds of different gamings right it's like you i know they do you play a spike ball they have ping pong they got dart <laughs> oh yeah right. they, have, they got the right. little basketball uh net up and and you know they'll they even have like juggling drills and and what they'll do is dual task a lot of these things right so let's say they're working yeah. a little bit of balance and they may they may dual test the balance with a little bit of uh uh tossing a ball right and so yeah. that brings in hand-eye coordination, or maybe you're you're bringing in psychotic work or uh, convergence work, or uh, like even some vestibular ocular reflex work. You know what I mean? Like when you're yeah. you're moving and your head's moving separate from your body, right? And those are huge. I think for a goalie, those things are paramount. Like I, yeah. uh, as I dived into this off season a little bit, is is into the neurology of, of things and. And, but what seems to be consistent is that, especially for goalies, and I know a lot of goalies do all they do the hand-eye coordination stuff, and they're doing the psychotic work and the the visual acuity, and yeah. especially the the being the psychotic work is so important for you guys to be able to to shift your focus from the puck being on one side of the ice, and then you having to shift your body and move and pick up the puck on the other side of the ice. So, you know, like let's say in, for one timers and things like that. Mm that's a skill that absolutely can be trained and absolutely can be worked on. And you, and you can start in the gym on a wall very simply in non-athletic position. You can do it sitting, you can do it standing, but what's going to create the best, the biggest crossover for you guys is you got to transition that into your athletic position. So if you're a position player, then that means in your stick and in your stance, but if you're a goalie, that means doing these eye exercises or these VOR exercises in, in the position that you're in, that'll create the, the greatest transfer to the ice. So if that's, yeah. that's a big tip for you guys, like, like I know they, they do a lot of the wall work and things like that, the lighting boards and, and that's fantastic. Yeah. It's a great start, but the closer you can do that work in your athletic position, the better. Right. Are you talking like a, like a Dynavision board? Correct. Yeah. And you can do, there's all variety of, that's all uh, different types of that visual acuity, that psychotic work, uh, the uh, visual acuity stuff. That's that's just done in a nice board, in a dyna board, right? But you can do that all at home and all very easily done uh, with stuff around the house. Very yeah. simple. For, for young goalies, they should definitely, definitely make... Uh, I work part of their, re their re regimen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, I, I have a program and they're uh, a sponsor of the show. They're called neuro tracker and I've, I've yeah, used cool. the Oh, you're, you're familiar with the product. Oh, we, we were one of the test subjects for neuro tracker back in the day. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> but, but, but before before it was before NeuroTracker was on a computer. Yeah. It was on a huge screen. We actually had a, a blacked out room or a, like it was well it was done with drapes. No, right. we actually used a thing and and they came they were from out of Montreal. Yeah, yeah, they, they're not too yeah. far from you. And so they came and we 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 were testing them for a year. And that's yeah. when there was it was a huge screen. It was it wasn't now they've adapted it which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a crazy uh, skill too. That's how do you think? Uh, how important you think doing that kind of like if you can if you can buy something like that? Obviously, it's not overly expensive. It's only about three hundred bucks. But how do you think? Uh, uh, you think that's a great tool to add to your toolbox of training where a lot of people aren't looking? For sure, I think you can absolutely. I think it's a, a great tool. Um, uh, but for those that don't want to spend the money, you can absolutely do that. Uh, on a budget you can yeah. absolutely still recreate that type of work without any expensive stuff at all yeah yeah you can make it as uh, you can start simply uh with like saccade clocks and and with uh, uh doing hand-eye coordination with 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 balls that have letters on them mm, okay there's, there's a variety of things to do um, even the, the VOR work, you can just do them there, uh, at home, you know, by randomly choosing different, um, uh, objects to focus on and moving the head while keeping the eyes still on the, mm-hmm. on, on the object. That's huge. And psychotic, you can do that just about anywhere. It's really just picking two objects and shifting focus from one to the other as quickly as possible but as accurately as possible. Mm-hmm. So you have to, you know, make sure that you can identify what you're focusing on, not just a book, like the letter on the book is what you want, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, not just the, the huge object, but yeah, you know, track is great. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, uh, I actually, some, something that I've kind of, uh, stumbled upon and, uh, shared with, with my community. That's been a, a big, a huge success for a lot cool. of people. Uh, it's sort of like an eye warm up routine that I uh, yeah. and, uh, doing oh, like yeah. eye transitions, working on your uh, warming up that depth control, like focusing right. on something close and then far, and that's doing circles, all sorts of stuff. Do you do you kind of know about all that stuff? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, I, I took that's I, I dove into the neurology this year, and I'm, I've the I've uh, uh, been really impressed from what I've read and. and and I'm looking forward to utilizing a lot of these, uh, even just as simple tests. And I think sometimes we miss uh, some issues that um, that these that these types of tests and these types of drills can resolve. Like the, like your eyes uh, are acutely linked to your vestibular system, and your vestibular system is, is acutely linked to your spine. So right. if you're having issues with your back and issues with balance and issues with uh, recurrent injuries on one side of your body and, and things like that, that is all related to how you perceive the world and how that's interpreted and then relayed to your spine. Like, so your reflexes, right. your, the way you react to force, the way you react to, to things coming at you and away from you, that is, that's all interrelated. That's sensory motor integration. It's amazing. It, it, there's, you can go down a huge rabbit hole here, but <laughs> Um, I love that stuff. I mean, yeah, uh, there, there's, oh, there's some great, there, there's some, there's a lot of great material out there that 
Um, there's a book I'm reading right now called See to Play. Okay. And, and it's all about that, all about your vision and getting it corrected. And, you know, they say that, oh, 2020 is awesome. But most elite athletes have 2010, 2015 vision. Right. Much better. Yeah. And, and so they, how do you accomplish that? Well, so this doctor says something, a lot of it you're born with. You can't really improve on that. You can, it, it can be improved slightly by contacts. Mm. So you can make your acuity better by contact, but then you have, that's, you have to go to optometrist and obviously yeah. you need more likely a, and get fully tested to do that. But, yeah. uh, but C to play has, uh, it talks all about the advantages of having really good eyesight. And it talks about all those different parameters. It talks about, uh, um, it talks about acuity. It talks about focus. It talks about um, a peripheral vision. It talks about uh, dominant eye and it mm. talks about all these things. And then it has a whole chapter on the drills that you can do and all wow. of them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's called see to play. I can't remember the author right now. Doig. Yeah. Doig. Doig. Yeah. I'll, uh, so everybody listening, I'll actually include that book in, in the show notes for the episode. That's, uh, I'm, I'm very in, intrigued from the, the visual perception side of things. Cause I just personally, well, well actually years ago, like the whole reason I got introduced to a neuro tracker is cause I had laser eye surgery done before I went to college Okay. and, um, and it actually like I had 15, 20 vision, but all of a sudden overnight it was like my depth perception was gone. My convergence, my divergence it was like ruined ruined yeah Yeah, i I mean i wish i i honestly wish i hadn't like it's crazy how it's crazy how those will manifest into other things like i said like they're they're acutely uh related to your the your balance and your and 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 your spinal integrity Mm -hmm. it's all like 100 percent well, I, uh, yeah, so everybody go check out that book. I'm definitely going to give it a read yeah, as well. Yeah, and it gives, uh, he was, uh, I believe the, the author was the, the optometrist for the, the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, really? Yeah, worked, worked tightly with, uh, with the AT there. Right on. Yeah, I'll definitely include that in the show notes. Um, um, but now I want to kind of dive a bit into, um, you know, uh, uh, recovery a little bit. And, um, you know, obviously just important, uh, you know, uh, you know, what, what's in your opinion is how important is it really for professional athletes and goalies as well? And, and what kind of recovery routine, you know, do you guys implement for your goaltenders and why sleep and, um, how there's no substitute for an athlete who is looking to, uh, or looking for options for great recovery and uh, yeah. sleep is number one. So yeah how do we get a pro athlete or any athlete for that matter uh, to sleep properly, to get that eight, you know, that golden eight hours of sleep at least. And if they're training hard and if they're training, even in um, especially training camps, uh, then even naps are recommended because the eight hours is not enough. Yeah. The load is so high. Uh, So keep that in mind too. So if you're in training camp and stuff, don't be afraid to take a nap. It's, it'll only help. Uh, you're not being lazy, uh, sleep. You just can't, you, it's regenerative. It's restorative. It's, it's value is number one. So you, you can't, you can't substitute it. And how do you get better sleep? 
uh, well, you have to set yourself up for better sleep. You got to create a great sleeping environment. Make sure your room is cool. Make sure it's dark. Uh, make sure you're off electronics uh, at least an hour to two hours before. Yeah. That light is really, uh, really messes up your circadian rhythm. If you're looking at your cell phone between 11 and 4 uh, at night, it really messes up not only your rhythm, your circadian rhythm, and, and starts to mess with uh, your body's kind of grasp of what time of day it is, yeah. but it also is a huge factor in your mood. So if you're on your phone late at night and you're not getting the eight hours of sleep, your mood is absolutely going to be uh, affected. And, yeah. and that's not just my opinion. Uh, it's researched. Um, the Huberman lab does a lot of great stuff on this. If you guys want to, if you guys are on Instagram, the Huberman lab, does a lot of great neurology stuff. And mm. uh, he has some great uh, podcasts and just small timbits about, about light and the good and bad. Um, so in that same vein, if you want to Im improve your mood and start your day off right, then 10 to 15 minutes of natural sunlight in the morning is huge. It's, it's, mm. It does a, a really great job of uh, revitalizing you and, and uh, improving your mood. Uh, and again, not, not just opinion, it's researched. Yeah. Um, so again, how else do we get guys to get to sleep. There's other research that shows um, that cold tubs that we thought were really affecting infl inflammation factors. And, you know, a lot, a lot of coaches were, especially football back in the day, were like, you know, you have a choice. The, 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 they, were, they used to tout that, you know, whether you were going to be a pro athlete or not had to do with choosing right or left. And they, were, and, the, and they were like, what are you talking about? Well, they said, if you chose right uh, down the hallway, that was the way to the cold tubs. And if you chose left, that was the way to the locker room. <laughs> and he says, the guys that chose right to the cold tubs made the pros. The guys that chose left didn't. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's got an old school. But And and they were saying it for the kind of like the wrong reasons. But it, uh, they've now seen that obviously cold exposure is really good for you. Uh, yeah. It helps you manage stress. It helps you deal with stress so that without cold, like you're able to manage normal stress of dealing yeah. with better, but it also helps you sleep better. Wow. So that cold tub after a game or after a thing may not help with your inflammation. It may not help with getting your legs going the next day, but what it does is brings you, it, it's, it's, it's almost a form of meditation. Like think about it. If you mm -hmm. ever taken a cold tub before, right? What are you oh, yeah. thinking about in the cold tub? Well, I mean, to be honest, you're thinking about how cold it is. <laughs> exactly right. You've, you've basically brought all your thoughts, all your even thoughts about the game and everything. For those couple of minutes that you're in the cold tub, all you're thinking about is it's frigging cold in here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So it kind of takes you away and, from and, it, right? And it, and it makes you control your breathing. Mm. So it brings you from that <laughs> hyper parasympathetic that sympathetic state of breathing yeah. down and it, to that parasympathetic state of breathing all that contributes to a, a better night's sleep yeah so that's that's one thing i know um so what else did i want to say about recovery 
Oh, and then then there's uh, tissue work. Right. So, uh, massage, massage has been shown to be much more effective uh, for you and how you feel the next day if it's done post exercise. It's if it, that same athlete decides to wait to the next day to get the massage, then it's actually more beneficial the night before. It actually mm-hmm. has a better effect on how they feel and and on uh, the recovery. Now, does that include uh, like rolling out as well? Exactly. So that's what I was going to bring to guys that don't have access to massage, right? Uh, so rolling has also been shown to be just as beneficial after exercise and maybe more than before. <laughs> I still yeah. think it's fantastic in a routine, like I was explaining earlier, if you use it as a, that in that beginning of your warm-up, as you you know you increase your core temperature, you roll, you stretch, you activate, and then you get into your warm-up. I think it's absolutely still has a place, it's extremely effective. Uh, but research-wise, they're showing that it may be even more effective for recovery purposes post exercise. Mm. So throw a roller in the bag, throw a tiger tail, throw a massage gun. Massage guns are pretty pricey though. Oh but, yeah, crazy pricey now. Yeah. But uh, all those are, are effective. Yeah. And I think one of the last things about recovery is, 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 your, is your mental well-being. Mm. So I, I think it's really important for athletes to get some kind of coaching on how to handle the stress of being an athlete. Mm-hmm. And whatever techniques you fall upon, whatever techniques you choose – uh, or what what's decided with you and your your coach, uh, and I'm when I'm in coach, I'm in like whatever, I'm a mental coach. Yeah, sports psych um, or something. Those got to be in, implemented post game. Yeah, post game, post workout, and that that'll help you get to that sleep. To be honest, yeah. and because and, yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to. The most important aspect of recovery is that and nutrition. Yeah. At the end of the day. What about uh, breathing? Yeah. Well, that's exactly. So a lot of those techniques that are, are utilized to help deal with the stress is rhythmical breathing, slowing your breathing down, you know, trying to get just six breaths a minute instead of how normally breaths, you know, nasal breathing has been shown to be quite effective. Mm. Uh, Even the Wim Hof style breathing, uh, yeah, Wim Hof. Yeah, I've taken. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. <laughs> Have you really? Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've taken. I've I've done his his cold showers are unreal. I I now can't take a shower without ending in cold. It's great. <laughs> maybe well, maybe you can detail that a bit to everybody. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's all about it's it's all about exposing yourself to external stress and being able to handle and control your breathing during that event right so mm-hmm. cold shower is brutal uh i usually start warm i you know and take your normal shower and then you go straight to cold and then they say you at least need two minutes wow but you can start slow so we, it, when we started with the wim hof it was 30 seconds and yeah. you gradually increased every week so now i'm up to three minutes wow and and it's, it's the purpose is to 
show you that you can handle that type of cold. And it's mm. actually not as stressful as you thought was, but it's the way you, it's, it's the way you handle the stress because every time you get in there and every time you turn to cold, it doesn't get any warmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No it's kidding. still cool. Like it, and it's still like <laughs> shocking and, but it's yeah. your ability to regulate your breathing during that is amazing. And, and that transfers to normal life. Yeah. When you're encountered with whatever stresses happen to come your way that day, and you is, know uh, is that called the uh, the vagus nerve? Is that what it's called? Being able to that's, control the va- the vagus yeah, nerve. Yeah, that's different. Vagus nerve is 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 uh, also another way of uh, relaxing and 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 really getting into your autonomic nervous system, right? So really getting into that parasympathetic system, which is even more important. And the easiest way to get into or stimulate your vagus nerve is, is hum. Humming. That's <laughs> vagus oh, nerve. Oh, that's why you hear them with the, the, the Buddhists. They're all humming, right? That's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, even when you go to a doctor's office, right? And, and they, they want you to stick your tongue out and say, ah. Yeah. It's the ah. It's, it's not ah. It's, it's the humming. It's, that's, that's your vagus nerve. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Do you uh, teach that to your guys at all or, or kind of yeah, oh, breathing, them sure. anything about that? Absolutely. Not not the vagus nerve so much. I mean, no, <clears throat> but the breathing. <laughs> yeah. So they, they're all, yeah. we're all starting to learn a lot more. And, and so each year we, we add a little bit more breathing and, and Schwartz big on uh, really shifting guys out of that sympathetic state to that parasympathetic state after, yeah. after a competition. That's huge. Without without that, you're not going to get to sleep. Yeah. You're not going to feel like eating. You're going to keep worrying about your performance. You know what I mean? You, yeah. It's going to affect everything going forward. So you have to be able to shift out of that out of that uh, uh, out of that state. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think cars yeah. are huge. I, I think that controlled articular rotations, like I told before, for body health and joint health and awareness a little routine that takes 15 minutes and you can get each joint in a nice little circular pain-free motion is huge on a daily basis for these guys. Yeah. You know, it, it takes a little bit of initiative and it takes a little bit of thought process, but I mean, you're talking about 15 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's great for joint health. Yeah. Uh, I think for hockey players um, on a, for a recovery basis, especially that next day, they, they got to get, they got to get themselves out of the hockey position. Mm. So to keep going forward, you know what I mean? So you're in that flexed, you know, semi flex position all the time. So you got to counteract that, that with, with motions and exercises that get you out of that position and, and access the rest of your body instead of always in that position. I think that's also very helpful in, in recovery days. Yeah. And maybe you can dive a little more into that. And, and you know, obviously you, you said that you're, you're very into managing joint health and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you mentioned the cars and stuff, but how important is doing a lot of that mobility work, not just from a, a prehab, but also a, a rehab and a post-exercise uh, incorporating mobility into your routine, essentially. Huge. It's, it's, well, it's, as an athlete, it's number one. You only have, you only have the body that you, that you're born with and, yeah. and, and every day it's getting older. And so you need to 
provide it with the proper stimulus to to maintain its health. And that's with mobility work. Uh, that's what you're doing. You are engaging uh, or trying to at least engage the majority of the joint uh, of a variety of your limbs, right? So yeah. by doing that, you're lubricating the joint, but you're also stimulating the joint. You're also creating those maps in your brain, right? You're also by accessing and moving in, in positions that you maybe you wouldn't normally like it, those end ranges or even mid range, but it all depends on how much mobility you have. But by accessing those ranges and by utilizing those ranges, you make them yours. So mm. you, you have to bridge the gap between passive range. Most you got guys that can have great passive range. They can take their leg with a strap and yank it all the way to their forehead. Right. Right. But ask them to move that actively without the strap. Where does it go? Where does it get to? Maybe 90? Like on good flexibility guys, guys that are yeah. actually quite flexible, maybe, maybe 100? So, but they were able to move that leg much farther. But they have zero control or access to that extra 40 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's not there. It's not theirs. And they don't have it. So if they're ever pushed into that range they will not react. The body won't react. The brain won't until it's too late. Right, right. So as a mobility part, that's the, the, the benefit of mobility work is to increase ranges of motion that you do not have. So to, to your, your, your widening the amount of range available to you plus your the ability to control that range of motion. So the more range of motion that you have and your ability to control that range of motion, the safer that joint's going to be. Yeah. So it's, it's hugely important. Yeah. Like you don't, yeah. I, I quit. I almost, I quit like I was, I was laughing. It's, it's, it's a little bit off topic of mobility, but it's not really. I was talking to my kid about when we were, I was, I grew up playing soccer. So I was like, dad, why do you always make me kick the ball with, right and left foot right and I'm like, well, yeah i'm like well if you only kick with your right foot then you're half a soccer player <laughs> don't you want to be a full soccer player like don't you want to be able to be able to use both feet yeah i was like oh okay okay well mobility is no different don't you want to be the, the ability to use the entire surface of the joint yeah don't you want the you know like don't you want the ability to be able to handle stress or load or being pushed into an awkward position and, and be able to be resilient there. Yeah. That's, 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 that's the, the key to mobility work. Not, well, that's the, that's the, the effectiveness of mobility work, but you have to be able to control that range. It's not, it's not, it's not good enough just to have passive range of motion. You have to, you have to be able to control the range. You have to be actively move there and actively get out of it. Yeah. And when you're able to do that, then your your brain is feels safe, and then it'll allow you to have that movement. Because if your brain doesn't feel safe, you're not you won't be able to do it. Mm. it a lot of people like can't do the splits because uh, the brain knows they can't get out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I can't even get into it, to be honest. Yeah, well, that, that's that, that's <laughs> good because it knows you can't get out of it <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but once you, when you were, even as a kid, like you see kids do splits all the time because they can actually yeah. get out of it. No problem. Yeah. Like from the split position. But then as you get older, you start to lose it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it seems that's where kind of a lot of, uh, uh, you know, athletic kind of medicine has, has sort of shifted focus is that, that strength at the end of range. I've, I've heard it on other podcasts and other professionals talking about it as well. Um, but, uh, you know, finally, I just want to dive into some tr- nutrition stuff and you kind of, you know, touch on it a bit on the recovery side, but for, for your team and, and your goaltenders, you know, what exactly is your staff aiming to give your players? prior to performance in games to make sure they're ready to go when the puck drops. Maybe you can like kind of detail a little routine and, and like a mouse yeah. or whatever. Oh, sure. Uh, supplemental stuff is, is more our strength, and our strength and conditioning coaches forte. But as a staff, uh, we are 100% whole food based and we try to provide and surround our guys uh, at the rink with good whole food choices. Yeah. So, uh, and I know this is at the pro level, but every morning breakfast is provided. We have a chef come in and they have an egg station. And not only is it just eggs and bacon, but it's uh, the ability to make omelets and have vegetables with these eggs. Right. Right? So they have full access to, there's different vegetables available to them. And there's also your, your bacon and your, uh, your sausage sometimes or whatever. But there's also whole fruit available. There's chopped fruit available. There's oatmeal available with blueberries and all different types of berries. Uh, Some shakes are made for the boys. We really try to get, like I was mentioning before, what a good meal entails is that high quality, multicolored fruit, veg, and protein into them. Uh, And and we try to do that as many times as we can. So lunch is provided as well. Uh, We also, uh, like any other team, uh, provide uh, shakes, uh, and protein powders, recovery powders, things like that. They all have to be NSF in the NHL. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, plant-based is becoming a thing, uh, or more popular at least now. So those options are also available. Uh, some of our guys are gluten-free. Uh, so those options are also available. We always make sure that we have a non-starch or non- uh, a gluten-free option uh, yeah. with pasta or with rice or with whatever. Is that typically what they're eating for pre-games? Yeah, so pre-game meals is is done in a similar way to breakfast, but it's in a little bit bigger scale. So yeah. we have a pasta station or rice, depending on, or gluten-free pasta. And they have a whole variety of vegetables to choose from to add to their pasta uh, and a couple of different sauces. And, and then also we have usually two greens uh, available. There's usually a broccoli and an asparagus or some type of other green, sometimes mm-hmm. beans, peas, always a green available. And then some type of, uh, obviously, protein, uh, two types usually, uh, chicken and fish. Uh, when we're on a road, it gets a little more elaborate. We usually add steak and uh, a chicken parm option. Uh, but guys usually don't go with the steak. It's a little tougher to digest on a game day. Okay. Uh, there's a full salad bar. So guys have uh, usually a spring mix plus kale. And then there's a, a variety of toppings, right? So you have tomatoes, cucumbers. Uh, yeah. You have chickpeas. You have all different types of uh, uh, 
toppings for them and, and then yeah. salad dressings as well. Yeah. And then there's usually a soup. So the, there's a lot of choice. And that's one of the major things is like, cause everybody, we have guys from different ethnic backgrounds and uh, from different countries and, and uh, you know, their tastes and what they're used to as a normal meal is different. Uh, but so the more variety uh, that you can offer them, but still maintain integrity of, you know, we are pro athletes. You want to maintain, you want to give them as many healthy options as possible. Right. Right. Uh, we do that. And, yeah. And the trainers and the athletic therapists and equipment guys are happy as long as there's a plate of cookies available at some yeah. point. <laughs> One little chocolate chip cookie to make the day go around. It's all you need. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys don't got to be out on the ice, right? So. Moderation, right? Moderation. <laughs> uh, what's your, you know, um, what's kind of your take on, on, on supplements and for kids and, uh, you know, what sort of age maybe should they be looking to start taking them and, you know, what should they be cautious about and, and can they provide you sort of a, a performance advantage? I, I, I think if you're an amateur athlete and you're, I don't even know what an age, that's a good question, but I, I would say you almost have zero need, almost zero need. Yeah. Of, of supplementation at, at a young age you have especially if you're a male athlete you have every supplement you need raging through you yeah starting you know that 12 to 13 years old there's 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 almost nothing you can supplement that'll make that any better right yeah testosterone growth hormone <laughs> it's really it's about i mean i wish more kids and and, and would be taught just how to eat properly yeah and 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 really try to manage their their sugar intake it's crazy right now there's well you get i mean now that my 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 son he's 11 and he's been in hockey now since he was like four years old yeah and you know at five six and seven years old you see these kids just downing full bottles of gatorade on the bench and i'm like you haven't played four minutes yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you just crushed a full bottle of gatorade like it's unnecessary like they see it in the commercials right yeah, oh, for exactly right. But these were formulated for adult bodies, and and, yeah. and even then, it's too much sugar, right? Like the majority of intake on the bench is water, even at the pro level. There's definitely Gatorade there, and there's definitely uh, um, that option. But it's it's done at short spurts, and it's done, um, you know, with the majority of the fluid still in intake is absolutely water. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but they have also the luxury of building their nutrition throughout the day right they're not worried about getting that sugar hit just before they've been working on it right for for the entire day right so yeah. but for yeah. children i think the most like for kids man like you know if, if you're starting to train hard and you're you're exceeding an hour on the ice and you're sweating pretty good then then you know then you may need um some type of, uh, I would say, athletic drink. You know what I mean, like a biosteel yeah. movie, yeah. something like that to to maybe get you through a little bit of sugar. Uh, you're, but I think for the most part, if you're underneath that and you're a kid and you're coming off and your gear's still dry, <laughs> yeah. Like you know, how much supplement do you think you needed there? Like probably. Yeah. If they're really worried about it, like water intake is huge. And I would think they, they should concentrate on being hydrated properly. Um, and they can manage that pretty easily. They can, 
I mean, you know, weigh yourself before you go and, and weigh yourself when you get off the ice and you can get a pretty good idea what you lost in water. That's yeah. still used in the AHL today. That's, that's still valid. That's, you know, the weight, if you, you take your weight before, before your game and your weight afterwards, uh, whatever pounds that you're down, that's a liter of water you have to replace. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one thing I would, if for, for a kid, I would concentrate, like they probably don't drink enough water on the bench. Yeah. Um, supplements at an adult level. I mean, we gotta, you gotta be careful and there's so many out there and, so and many. just make sure that it's, that whatever you decide, it's well-researched. Yeah. Um, and there's probably only about five right now that are actually really well researched and you can see the pros and cons of them. Like, so that would be like creatine, yeah. uh, whey, protein. Um, that would be like, uh, omega threes. Mm. Uh, what's the other one? Glutamine, mm. uh, something like that. Those, those are like highly researched, a lot of data behind them. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to get into using supplements, but, but it's so hard to confirm the quality of these things. And so I really, if you're going to choose a supplement, make sure you know where it's coming from. Make sure it's at least one of those by endorsed by one of the governing bodies that, that really make sure that the ingredients are what they are. So that's mm-hmm. NSF or firms informed choice or something like that. Uh, because if you're just going to GNC and pulling something off the, off the rack, yeah, you're in trouble. Like it's up to, it could be close up to seventy percent that's tainted. Yeah, wow. It's, well, Jeez. it's crazy. Like you have to make sure you know where your supplements coming from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make, 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 and make sure some, there's a governing body that's at least had to put their name on it to to verify the ingredients. Yeah. There's some uh, compliance there, right? Oh, at least, yeah, because a lot of it's out of China now, and like, yeah, it's just not it's just it's not regulated. That's the problem. So you just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dominic, you uh, you have any last words of advice for everyone uh, listening that you feel passionate about sharing? Um, yeah, just I mean, if you're obviously this is geared toward goalies and and and. Um, the only thing I would say is, is trust the process. And, and mm-hmm. if you don't have a process, that's where you start. Mm-hmm. So develop a routine, develop a routine, uh, pregame, develop a routine postgame. Um, the biggest difference between an elite level athlete and a normal athlete is preparation. Mm. Whatever, like take skill aside speed and all that and what separates the absolute best from those that are trying to get there is their preparation for that game or that practice or that event mm-hmm. it is by far the best thing you can do to improve your performance is you need to have a consistent level of preparation so that you're starting every game practice or event very close to the same way all the time. Yeah. You can't wait till 15 minutes into the first period to get that. Oh, I feel good now. That's too late. Yeah. <laughs> That's just too late. And, and we still, I was dealing, we dealt with that in the American league a lot. 
Mm. And, and so, cause I had a couple of years in the NHL and the guys would ask me like, what's the difference? What do you see? And they, and they knew about the performance side of it. Right. They knew about, you know, what the guy's right. skills were or not. The Sidney Crosby's versus everybody right. else. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like some guys are just unbelievable. Right. Yeah. But Sidney Crosby's preparation is undeniable. Yeah. And so regardless of his skill. So if that is, so if a, a Sidney Crosby, uh, is preparing that way for a game. Uh, like that's a great place for someone trying to achieve Sidney Crosby's level or try, aspiring to, to to achieve at least the NHL or that type of even just a pro career. Mm-hmm. Is you work on your preparation. Be prepared. Yeah. yeah. Be prepared. Yeah. Well, thank you for that advice, man. I I uh, yeah, you're I I think it's great advice. It would, I I work with the guys that are part of sort of my program is uh, helping them develop systems and routines. It, it increases your consistency dramatically, right? You're trying to put the odds in your favor every time you step on that ice. If you if you want to move to that next level, the biggest thing is people want to see that you can do it night in and night out, right? So. Um, Dominic, thank you so much for uh, for for coming on, buddy. Uh, absolutely amazing convo. Ran a little bit longer. We had some uh, technical sure. difficulties, but thanks for working with me, man. Thanks for having me, Mike. No, uh, my pleasure. Yeah, can you just let everybody know where uh, they can get in touch with you online? Oh, geez. Uh, yeah, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, at Dominic Oletta on Instagram. So I'm easily found there. Uh, unfortunately, what you'll find mostly is espresso shots and and pictures of food. <laughs> I'm, your, I'm your typical Instagrammer in that vein, but well, if if anybody wants to, if anybody wants to get in touch with Dom, you mind if people like send you a DM or something like that? Sure, no problem. Right on, man. Well, we uh, go check out Dom, Dominic uh, Nicolette on Instagram. Uh, he's been an athletic th- a therapist at the next level for, for over 20 years now. And I uh, couldn't think of anyone better in his field to, to come on and chat some exercise science and athletic training work. Uh, maybe somewhere down the road, we'll have you back on the show, man, if that's something that interests you. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. All right. Well, cheers, man. I'm grateful for you coming on, buddy. Good luck as uh, the season gets underway soon. You take care, stay safe, and we'll chat soon, man. I hope so. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode, guys. If you like what you heard today, make sure to hit that subscribe button as we have tons of amazing guests lined up ready to come on to the show in the next few months. And make sure to tune in next week and every Tuesday from now on at 8 a.m. As next week, I have another active professional goaltender coming on the show former North Dakota Fighting Sioux starter and D1 NCAA national champ, currently playing for the Florida Everglades in the ECHL, Cam Johnson. And Cam has experienced just massive amounts of success throughout his career. He's a super upbeat and energetic guy with tons of experience, and uh, I couldn't be happier to have him on next episode, so make sure to tune back next week. You guys won't want to miss this one. Without further ado, here are the giveaway details for the NeuroTracker X subscriptions. We're giving away as well as plenty of other things like products, books, all sorts of stuff. Um, and, the, and the goodie is if you enter our giveaway, you will be entered into every single giveaway we ever do on the show. That's right. We've had about 40 different winners so far and uh, only 105 people have, have left a, a review f- for the show. So to enter the giveaway, 
If you're an Apple user, simply go to the Apple Podcast app on your phone and leave us a written review and rating. And if you're an Android user, you can also download iTunes onto your computer and leave a review and rating on there as well. But once you leave a review of the podcast, take a screenshot of it and either email it to goaliehacks at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram with your screenshot and your full name. If you guys are also interested in getting started with the product, feel free to hit me up either by email or Instagram direct messages to get more details on the brand new NeuroTracker X product. Get excited, guys. Great things ahead. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'll see you next week.